0: Hold on to your caps because we're going in the Wayback Machine. Back in the era when ladies had big hair and leg warmers, the year Michael Jackson's Thriller came out and CDs were invented, it's 1982 and the baseball is great as the teams from St. Louis and Milwaukee meet in the World Series, and we have author Jay Daniel joining us who wrote the book Sud Series to talk about this series and more of pop culture 1982 and baseball in that same year. Coming up in just a moment. Hey, this is Darren Hayes. You've probably heard me on the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch. Well, welcome to my journey of learning more about sports history. And we're going to do it by learning about the great athletes and the uniforms that they wore as they both tell a lot about the games that we love and have watched so much throughout most of our lives. These are the chronicles I'm going to share with you on what I've learned through my journey in the Sports Jersey Dispatch hello my friends of sports history this is darren hayes of the sports jersey dispatch podcast welcome once again to the pig pen your place for all things great in sports history and welcome to another edition as we go into some great history of the games that we love to listen to and watch and you know observe and read about and today we're going to be talking about america's pastime, the great game of baseball and in particular uh, a couple of teams from the 1980s that fared pretty well but the we're going to go on a little bit deeper history than that uh, we have a great author on today his name is jay daniel and he wrote a book called sud series baseball beer wars and the summer of 82 how many people remember 82 was a great year a great decade to live in the 80s uh we'll bring him in right now jay daniel welcome to the pig pen
1: thanks so much for having me darren i really appreciate it i'm looking forward to it
0: uh, jay uh been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, You know, first of all, I want to thank you and your publisher, uh, the University of Missouri Press. You sent me a copy of the the book, and I got a chance to read it. And uh, I'll tell you what, it is an excellent book, and we'll get into a little bit more detail here, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, But, uh, you know, I guess before we get started here, we'd like to learn a little little bit about you. Uh, First of all, you know, with a little bit about your background uh maybe tell us you know how you came to enjoy the game of baseball to the point of writing a book on it
1: well I grew up in Southwest Ohio in the in the 70s and 80s um in, you know near Cincinnati in the big red Machine era and I was a huge Philadelphia Phillies fan at the time I was uh you know well, I'm gonna say well, wait wait a second biggest... that, that
0: doesn't go so well together how, well, that know, well
1: yeah exactly but well I think I've always said said to people, you know, my, my mother grew up in Philadelphia. My stepfather grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, And so when you're seven years old and your parents, one of your parents likes a team, it's either a reason to root for that team or a reason not to root for that team. Um, And so I became a huge Phillies fan right about the time in the mid seventies when they were starting to get really good after many, many years of being terrible. So, um, so I was a huge Phillies fan. Um, My first book was called finally It was about the 1980 season Um, And then um, I started I did this one about 82, but I was just I've just always been a huge baseball fan. I mean, I I followed all the other sports as well. I mean, I think we're all if you're if you're running multiple podcasts, you were a huge sports nut like I was, too. Um, But baseball has always been my passion. And I think one of the things maybe that got me so involved in terms of learning about it was that I couldn't play it. I was I was just terrible. I, I couldn't, you know. I was a pretty good T ball player, Darren, but um but then you know after once the ball started moving, that's when I started to have difficulty. And so uh, I just you know, wanted to read everything that I could. I'm an only child, so spent a lot of time alone. I'd come home after school, watch Cubs games during the afternoon and then Braves games at night on WtBS and and you know read the sporting news and baseball digest and all those things that we had back then and and um, I just really became passionate about the game and still am.
0: Yeah, I will tell you what, I can sympathize with you. You know, they I don't think they had T ball when I was little. I think we we had like a dad pitch to us when I was real, real young. Sure. Uh, but you know, ball was placed pretty much, you know, up on a T for you when dad when the dads are pitching to you. And then when you have some a competitive pitcher pitching, they're not putting the ball in the same place, especially uh the youngsters really that can't fair. control it. And, uh, you know, of course when you're a kid you just want to swing at everything. So I wasn't very good either. So led i had a similar path of enjoying sports and uh better better to be from the sideline and enjoy them than trying to play and exactly uh, when, but you don't get hurt that way either. that's right especially when you're, you're poor at it like like i was so so exactly. Um, so yeah, inter- interesting. Uh, now at least I see why you, how you became a Philadelphia fan. I uh, live in Western Pennsylvania. I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So I, uh, have seen quite a bit of, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Cincinnati Reds, uh, where you grew up. So those two red teams on either side of, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, <laughs> I know them both very well. And remember, uh, you know, the Phillies team of the eighties, which, a uh, pretty good team. You're right. So I can see why you root for them. Jay. Had this, You know, this great book on this, this 82 season and, uh, you know, to pardon my pun, but you threw a couple curveballs at me, you know, I, I came into it, uh, you know, I read the book by its cover I and mean, I guess I, everybody does that when you're reading something you're seeing, you know, this and, and the summer of 82 and suds wars, you know, I had a pretty good idea what it was, you know, it's going to be about that, that world series of the two, uh, beer towns, of you know, St. Louis and Milwaukee, we'll get it out there. Um, but you know you, your curveballs that you threw at me first of all the introduction of taking uh me the reader down that path of the, the history of sort of uh the, the st louis cardinals and the milwaukee brewers and their life through uh beer salesmen and and uh you know grocers and and i, I was i was blown away by that and i was really uh, a delightful little start to the the book and it really set me on a path to, to really enjoying it. So I, I thank you for that. But what, what was sort of your inspiration of starting, starting it like that?
1: Well, I think, I mean, this was called, you know, I certainly didn't coin the phrase Suds series, right? I mean, that was thrown about at the time. And so, I mean, I think it's, it's easy to do, but I mean, we wanted to, and I worked with my publisher and, and we wanted to, and my editors, and we wanted to talk about let's set a, you know, a basis for this thing. And it wasn't just the fact that, oh, wow, look at this, there's two cities, you know, because uh, their beer is brewed in other cities as well, you know? And so, um, I mean, you know, we, we could, we if the 79 a- NLCS, right, we could have done a Sud series with Iron City and uh, Wiedemann or whatever it was, you know, <laughs> uh, or Hutapol. So, um, I mean, I think it was important to, to sort of lay the foundation and talk about the fact that, that you know, these cities were basically built around breweries. And the other thing it gives me is an opportunity to continue that thread throughout the book um, instead of just saying, okay, well, here's the base and let's move on and talk about who hit three home runs or whatever it was. you know. So you I kind of keep revisiting that throughout the book and I think that made it fun. And it, and it was also easy because in 1982 was when Budweiser released Bud Light, although they, they called it Budweiser Light at the time. Um, and so that made it an easy transition and something else to talk about as well. And one of the things I love to do in my books is is to talk about pop culture and about what else was going on in the world, or at least in the country at the time. Um, because at the end of the day, I'm certainly not breaking news when I write a book that says that the Cardinals won the World Series in 1982. So um, and anyone who's interested in reading it is obviously going to know that as well. So I want to tell people things that they don't know and also bring people back to that era and put people in that era. And that was the big the big, one of the big things that I'm a huge eighties guy across the board. I love the music. I love the movies. I love, uh, you know, all of that. And so I want to put people back in 1982 because at the end of the day, if you want to find out who won the games, you can go to baseball reference and look at a play by play and find out what happened. Um, and so I want to really put people back in that era. And that's what I try to do with, with, with the books that I write.
0: Yeah, you, you did definitely did that. I mean, I, I got, you, know, you caught me with that that little bit of history on, you know, especially the St. Louis with the uh, uh, Christopher uh, Vanderhaw. And, you know, so that whole story would be in the grocery and everything, which was very, very interesting in the introduction. And so I I said, okay, I got the, I got the rhythm of this, uh, this book. A little bit. I see how he's writing this, you know? So, you know, the, Bring up that baseball analogy of reading your book a little bit. I, I was sitting on that curveball a little bit. And then you you <laughs> threw me a screwball because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I think you were talking about Metallica. And I'm like, going, wow, you know, Enter Sandman is coming. I'm like, wow, where you? you know, I, yeah. I'm familiar with that. I'm an 80s kid, you know, and it just, uh, your references to pop culture, like you, you said, uh, especially in the '80s, of you know, and Pac Man and John Belushi and you know, you, uh, countless others that you did, you really took me back down memory lane and made me uh, connect to to the story, and then reminded me of what happened in the baseball world on that day or that that period of time. So, you know, that was very refreshing too and very entertaining.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, and again, one of the things people say to authors is write the book that you want to read, you know, and, and this is what I'm passionate about. I mean, there's, there's a guy, and I I talked about this when, often when I do interviews, there's a guy who, whose Twitter bio is, he said, I don't have eighties nostalgia because I refuse to believe that the eighties are over. And Hmm. that's the way kind of, I look at it. You know, I mean, I'm still, I'm still, I still listen to eighties music all the time. I, you know, I mean, like, that I'm, that's my happy zone. You know, I mean, and, and you can call it nostalgia, rose colored glasses, whatever. I'm fine. If you want to criticize me for it, I'm fine with that too. I really don't care. That's where I like to be. And, um, and so, and that's not to say that I don't pay attention to what's going on now, but I mean, I just, I, I love being back in that era. I love going through the old newspapers and finding all these little things and finding little nuggets. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the hunt, that really excites me of trying to find something. Oh, wow. That's an amazing little factoid. And then, and then I try to tie it to something else. Um, And in terms of the pop culture stuff, there was a lot of stuff that we ended up having to cut out as well, just because it didn't really fit. It was sort of stuck in. I mean, diner came out in 1982, which is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Fantastic cast. Um, But it just didn't fit, you know, it, it was kind of just shoved in. And so so that's why again, where some of the beer narrative came in is it becomes that thread throughout the book that that uh, kind of ties things together at least on the or, uh, you know on the edges.
0: Yeah, there's there's so many layers to it. Like you said, you you have the beer story going through on throughout. Uh, you know the the general theme of the the baseball story that which you're you're really telling about in all this uh, '80s uh, pop culture and Americana it was just uh, it was really well done. And I, I appreciate you doing that. And thank you for doing that. And I think the uh, listeners, you know, when you get an opportunity to get your hands on this book, and we'll give you the information on that in just a moment. Uh, I think you will enjoy that too, and really have a surprise and I'm not spoiling too many surprises for you because you'll, you'll enjoy it no matter what. And why don't we take that opportunity right now, Jay, if you could, uh, you know, let's give the title of the book and where folks can can get it, their hands on a copy. Sure. Of so
1: it. it's called Sud series. Um, and it's about the 1982 baseball season. It's available, you know, obviously online on Amazon. Um, and, and also through the university of Missouri press's website, anywhere else you can order it from your local bookseller as well. Um, and I, you know, I'd really appreciate it. it. Was it? It was a passion project. I mean, th- these first two books that I did were something where it was really things that I was really, really into and really excited about. And so I, like I said, I enjoyed the hunt. I enjoyed digging and trying to find things, and you know, talking to people. I spoke to Doug sense and and, um, and Dick Perez too, who did the the artwork for those Don Russ cards, and talked to them about some things that that uh, they were kind of interesting, got some great stuff from Sensei that I was really happy with. So uh, it
0: was a lot of fun. Very cool. And folks, if you're driving or, uh, you know, at the gym, can't, don't have a pen and pencil to write down, uh, you know, where to get the book and the name of the book. Don't worry. We have in the show notes of this podcast, we'll put some links on there to where you can get the the Jay's book, uh, both his publisher, his Amazon, we'll get you directly to that, uh, to help you out here and any other links that, that we talk about here. So no worries. The main theme is these two teams building, uh, uh, up for this world championship, the world series in 1982. And you really go back in and, and time, you know, a couple years of, uh, you know, the, the grassroots of these teams of the the stars and the the managers and what's going on with them. And maybe if you could just give us sort of the, uh, you know, a little glimpse of, of what, uh, how, how these teams were built.
1: Sure. I mean, I think, and I actually have, I, I have a blog as well. And I did a blog post a while ago where I wrote about the fact that the most important day of the 82 season was, I believe it was June 8th of 1980. And that's the day that the St. Louis Cardinals fired Ken Boyer and brought in Whitey Herzog. Um And, and Herzog came in and completely reshaped the Cardinals roster. Um, I think he made something like 63 player moves between the time that he took over the team in 1980 until opening day of 1982. But in the process, he also remade the Brewers roster um, and ended up trading. I mean, the, the the thing that's really amazing is that he traded away the 1981 and 1982 American League Cy Young Award winners and then beat the team that he traded them to in the World Series. Um, and, and again, you can make, you know, if Raleigh Fingers is healthy, Maybe there's a different outcome and if Pete Vukovic is healthy, maybe there's a different outcome, you know, and that's a valid argument. But on the other hand, maybe, maybe not. I mean, you, you, we will never know. Right. But I mean, it was, it was really amazing to to go back and look at how Herzog came in and just completely rebuilt that team. Um, basically it was, you know, a, a version of the Royals team that he had had in Kansas city where he built the team around the ballpark. And we saw, the kind of success that he had with the Cardinals over the next five years when they go to the world series three times or twice. Right.
0: Great story. I never really thought of it in that context, uh, you know, what Herzog did and, you know, building it towards the stadium, like you said, and he ended up, you know, convincing the brewers that uh, they needed to be more of a power hitting team. And you make that uh, quite evident in the book too. And he said, you know, this trade's going to be, uh, you know, good for both of us and put us both yeah. in good spots. And boy, what a, a, Nostradamus he was on that. Just uh, you know, what a year or two later to <laughs> be meeting each other in a world series and having a great series at that very evenly matched. So with two different styles of play.
1: And definitely the contrasting styles were a big story and it was super cool. I mean, the, you know, the Cardinals were built on defense and running and the brewers just bludgeoned people. I mean, they just hit it. I mean, that was Harvey's wall bangers. They had the top three guys in the American League in hits on the same team, which is insane. I mean, just to think about that now. I mean, but you know, that those guys could absolutely mash the ball, and and they, you know, they could hit for power, and and obviously had guys who could hit for average as well at the top of the lineup with with Cooper and and uh, and Yount and Molly. It was a that was a really really fun Brewers team, and and um and and there's I mean, at the end of the season, there's five Hall of Famers on that Brewers team when, when wow. they added Sutton toward the end of the year. So that's pretty impressive.
0: So, so you have five on there and the Cardinals were, were no slouches either. They had a, a few hall of famers on them and had a pretty good team as
1: well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you, when you got suit, I mean, Suter was so dominant at that point um, that, I mean, you know, the game's pretty much over when he came in um, and, you know, and then they had, they had a lot of talent as well. And, 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 you know, but they also had, I mean, and obviously Ozzy at shortstop, and that was another big story about, you know, about um, how he would even got to St. Louis in the first place with the whole, if you look back to 1981 and what happened with Gary Templeton with the incident on, um, I don't know, was it Mother's Day or something? It was something where they were, you know, it was a salute to women of some sort, and he, uh, you know as, as uh, Whitey said, grabbed the family jewels and gave him a good jostling um, in reaction to the uh, to being booed. And, uh, you know, he kind of became persona non grata after that, and they kind of had to trade him, and so they traded. But, I mean, Gary Templeton was was a phenomenal player at the time, and, it, you know, it had 100 hits from each side of the plate a couple of years earlier. They traded him to San Diego for Ozzie, and Ozzie wanted a new contract, and so this whole thing dragged out. Um, but they end up getting Ozzy, and and you know, and that was. But Ozzy was exactly the kind of player that Whitey Herzog wanted. He wanted somebody up the middle who would make all the plays, and he kind of didn't care what what he hit because he had other guys around him who could hit. And he said, you know, I want a shortstop who can play defense, especially on astroturf, especially in this ballpark, and obviously it worked out.
0: Yeah. Boy, both those players, Templeton and Aussie, were just uh, tremendous in their their own skill sets and uh, legends of the game. That's for sure. I'm sure Whitey Herzog wasn't real popular the day that trade first went down. If you if you were a Cardinals fan, you're like, you know what are, what are you doing? You're giving away our best guy. And yeah. Not not realizing what you're getting back in return, but uh, Herzog had the foresight to to realize the talent of Aussie Smith and what he could bring to the team. So, you know, pretty amazing story there too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and again, it was a perfect fit for Oz, for for Whitey's team. And, you know, I think it was 1980. He set the record for assists at shortstop that I believe still stands. Um, and so, you know, Ozzy. I mean, uh, Whitey was you know kind of a defense first guy, at least up the middle, right? And so he has, you know, he's got Ozzy, and he's he's got David Green in the outfield, who you know was his guy. I mean, that was the, he was the centerpiece of the deal. That, that sent Simmons and Vukovich and fingers to Milwaukee. And everyone thought that he was going to be, you know, a superstar. And unfortunately that didn't pan out, but then he ends up getting hurt. And lo and behold, the Cardinals call up another guy that, that Whitey stole. And that was Willie McGee who they traded. Um, they got from the Yankees for Bob Sykes and Willie McGee ends up coming up and playing center field and, you know, ends up winning an MVP and a batting title a couple of years later. Um, and was also had a, you know, had a, key contributor to the postseason And over the course of the regular season was just another great player who was mired in that Yankees organization where Steinbrenner just never called anybody up. He was always going out and signing the big name free agents and trading minor leaguers like Willie McGee for pieces like Bob Sykes, who ended up basically doing nothing for the Yankees. And, and Willie McGee turns into, you know, like I said, a former, I mean, a future batting title and an MVP batting champion, I should say.
0: And, uh, Pretty good set of wheels on him as well. If yes, I exactly. Correctly. You know, so always a threat on the bases. I think almost everybody on that that uh, Cardinals team was a threat there in the early '80s. Uh, not a not a catcher's a best friend on the opposition. That's for sure. Definitely not. How how did the season go for both these teams? Were they were they like uh, jumping out on everybody right out of the gate, or or how how this goes? There's some.
1: Well, the, the Cardinals jumped out pretty strong, but I mean, of course, the Braves began the season 13 and 0. Um, and they kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and then the Cardinals, I think lost their first game and then they won 10 or 12 in a row, something like that. Um, and then, you know, they were kind of, but I mean, the Phillies were still really a factor at that point because the the Phillies still, they still had Pete. They still had, obviously had Schmidt Carlton won his fourth and final Cy Young in 1982. So the Phillies were a factor. The Expos were the consensus pick to win the national league East. Um, and it just didn't work out for them. Tim Raines had has had some off the field issues, um, and uh, and they just did the Expos just couldn't put it together for whatever reason. Um, and so, but the Cardinals were kind of always there battling, you know, battling the Phillies basically for the second half of the season. And then in the American League, I mean, the Brewers had made the postseason for the first time ever in 1981 with the the split season and that weird janky playoff system that they had. And they were looked like they were going to make some noise in 81 and they really stumbled with Buck Rogers at the helm. And Buck had not, um, he had kind of alienated some of the guys on the team and there were rumblings and they ended up firing Buck Rogers um, and bringing it and and just bumping up um, Harvey Keen. And that was the catalyst for their complete turnaround. I mean, and you know, you look at what happened with the Phillies last year, right? I mean, when the Phillies let Joe Girardi go, I thought, oh, well, Joe Girardi isn't the reason that they were making a bunch of errors. And, you know, but then all of a sudden, as soon as they changed managers, things completely changed. And this the exact same thing happened in 82 with the Brewers. And they just basically they all relaxed. Um, Buck ran kind of a tight ship. And, uh, and, you know, I think I told a story in the, in the book about how contrast that to Harvey Keene, who had a had a, a fake leg. And sometimes guys would steal it when he was in the shower, he, you know, come out of the shower, and his leg was missing. So, um it just kind of changed the dynamic of the clubhouse. Everybody relaxed and they started doing what they were capable of doing and uh, really took off once once Keene took over,
0: yeah, i, I guess uh, you know that that's definitely true. And maybe i, I better uh, clarify this uh, for listeners who are saying, you know, how are the Brewers playing the Cardinals in when they're both in the national <laughs> league? Well, Way back a long time ago, friends, uh, the Brewers were an American League team. And I, I believe, what was it, early 2000s when they, they made the switch over? Yeah, and
1: um, the, the free... they switched with the Astros because the Astros that's, were in the right. NL West at the time.
0: That's right. So, yes, the, the Brewers were definitely an American League team back uh, in the day. I, I still think of them as an American League, American League team. It's hard for me to Absolutely. think otherwise. So, and, and vice versa with the Astros. So I, I get confused myself sometimes. But uh, def, definitely some uh, some great teams and very interesting uh, the the way that they both progressed in there. Now, when these two teams met, uh, you you pointed out very vividly, which something I didn't realize. Maybe maybe at the time I did, but I, I, maybe I forgot about that. The at the uh, Cardinals were the team with the least amount of home runs in it was exactly the opposite. Uh, the, the brewers were right up near the top of home runs for the, for the year of 1982. So just a, a contrast, the styles, I mean, that's probably the biggest number you could look at, uh, to see the contrast of these two clubs.
1: Yeah. And it, it really was, I mean, that was the big story of which, which style was better, you know, I mean, which team and, you know, the brewers had their pitching wasn't quite as good as the Cardinals pitching. I mean, the Cardinals had Bob Forsh and, and Joaquin Andohar, um, but, you know, when the Brewers ended up getting Don Sutton for, for the stretch run, that was really a big boost to them. He was still a really effective pitcher at the time and um, and and won some really key games for them, including um, one on the last day of the season that actually got them into the playoffs in the first place. So, um, and that was, a, I mean, I, that was a really exciting game, I remember, because that was during the NFL strike, too. So all of a sudden, you know, Major League Baseball takes center stage on a Sunday afternoon in October. Um, and it was a huge, huge deal. I mean, for that game, I mean, it was, you know, the winner take all on the last day of the season when, when there was no wild card and there was, you know, was no, nothing else. It was just, you know, winner you, you know, we're home.
0: Yeah. Just like a, a perfectly written drama to take you right to the last day and, uh, you know, have, have those little fireworks to, to get them through there. That's uh, that's some pretty exciting stuff too. Okay. So we, who do did the uh each team play in their respective uh playoff uh, series in the AL and the NL that year
1: so the Cardinals beat the Atlanta Braves and the Braves said you know been awful for many many years and kind of came out of nowhere and won the won the uh the National League West in 1982 um and and the Braves ended up getting swept but the sort of asterisk to that is that Atlanta had Phil Necker on the mound in game one of the NLCS and they had a lead with in the fifth inning and the, and the skies opened up and the game ended up getting rained out. So it didn't count. So then they went back and had to play basically replay game one. And the Cardinals ended up winning the series. And then the, the Brewers and the angels had a phenomenal, I mean this again, back in 82, it's a five game. It's um, best of five ALCS and NLCS. And so the brewers and angels, you know, the angels jumped out to a 2-0 lead. Um, and everyone thought, okay, well they only have to win one more game. So they're going to go to the world series and it's going to be, you know, the angels and, and, and the brewers ended up pulling it out, you know, in game five with a, a tremendous, tremendously exciting victory. And, um, I'm sure still smarts for a lot of angels fans. I know it's still smarts for Doug DeSensei about some decisions that were made in that game, um, from that came from the dugout. And, um, yeah so the brewers ended up winning that that series and and going to the world series to take on the on the cardinals and again and then that series goes seven as well so
0: yeah so as long as you bring it up a good segue into it let's talk our way through those games if you will you know how, how did each game go to get to game seven
1: well the brewers the brewers won game one i think they won 10 to nothing um and molitor had five hits and um and then the Cardinals bounce back, to be honest with you. I don't have, I don't remember exactly who won each game in in sequence, but, um, you know, the, there was the Cardinals were down three, two after, after five. And, um, and it looked like, you know, the Brewers had the momentum going and the Cardinals ended up winning game six. And so then it goes to a game seven and in St. Louis and, um, and Joaquin Andohar was pitching and he had gotten hurt in his previous start. So there was doubt as to whether or not he was even going to be able to go. Um, but as Joaquin Andohar was fond of saying, me one tough Dominican. And so he uh he ended up uh you know gutting it out and pitched really, really well in game seven. And um, and but you know, the undercurrent of that entire series was the fact that they were they, these were two teams that had two of the best closers in baseball at the time, if not the best two closers in baseball at the time. But but Raleigh Fingers was unavailable because he had blown out his elbow um, in September. And so, you know, they keep kept having these shots of Fingers in the dugout and people were saying, well, is he going to be available? Is he not going to be available? But, you know, the Brewers knew that he was done and he ended up throwing a few innings in 83 and missed the rest of the season and was kind of never the same after that. And the same with Pete Vukovich. We found out later on that he was pitching with a torn rotator cuff for all of September and was pretty much finished after 82 as well. So um, it was it, but but there was still a lot of you know a lot of back and forth with each of these teams, and I mean, again, which style prevails um, was the big question. And and again, when you know, anytime a series goes seven games, um, you know it's going to be exciting, and you're gonna you're gonna kind of be on the edge of your seat for the, for the entirety of it. And it was a lot of fun. It was a great series. All the games are available on YouTube. You can go back and watch them now. And that's one of the things I did to do the book was try to weave the narrative because again, you know, no one, I'm not breaking news by telling people who won the world series in 82. So I have to go back and mix in newspaper accounts with quotes, with pulling stuff from the broadcast and, and, and pulling, I mean, I bought the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, 1982 celebrate, Vinyl EP um, that was put out by KMOX and ended up having a friend of mine who owns a radio station here dump it down to uh, to, to CD so that I could listen to it again and um, pulled stuff from that you know and so um, it's all about trying to put you know put people in that situation where you say okay well this person said this it's weaving that sort of uh, you know the soundbite narrative of telling a story with just from telling it from the perspective of the people who were there. Yeah,
0: you definitely did that. And I was just going to mention that, you know, throughout the book, especially these big games in the the AL and the NL playoff and the, uh, you know, the World Series itself. You know, you really brought those those quotes in and uh, you know, you could tell you were doing some digging and find them in a newspaper and very relative to whatever you were talking about, the subject matter you're talking about at the time, whether it be a player, how he performed. You have a post game interview. But the thing that really brought me back is when you were talking, uh, you know, the 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 color commentary from the announcers doing the game, I believe NBC, what you just had on there, you know, but, you know, Keith Jackson and Joe Garagiola and I, I could just hear them saying these words that I'm reading and it really yeah. took me back, you know, 40 years ago. It's hard to believe 40 years ago, but it took me back about 40 some years ago yeah. uh, to those are the those voices games. we grew up with, right. You know, and- with
1: Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek, And I mean, the, the world series was on ABC with Keith Jackson and Jim Palmer and, and um, Earl Weaver in the booth and um and and you know it was and we've of course retired at the end of 82 he came back later but i mean so you know it was one of the, one of the things that has always stood out to me about those tv calls was mike caldwell was pitching for the brewers and jim palmer said that he was talking to the brewers pitching coach cal mcclish and mcclish said if caldwell throws harder than 85 he's overthrowing and you know, contrast that to what we see today, right? Where, I mean, nobody, everybody throws 95. That's, you know, that's kind of at the bottom level. And so um, that really was a a, a big anachronism for me, but also kind of just really interesting and shows what, how the game has changed and about how you could throw 85, but if you could put it where you wanted to, that was a way to get hitters out then. And 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 I'm not going to be the get off my lawn guy, Um, but I I just think it was really, you know, it was interesting and showed how the game was, was so different then than it is now
0: that that's definitely for sure now i i thought it was really interesting it made me go back and think about this and maybe i didn't realize this at the time either but when you had palmer and weaver as the you know color commentary and the analysts on, on the the uh broadcast i'm sitting there thinking god it was only three years earlier that they were with baltimore playing the pirates in the, the 79 world series which is yeah uh, so they're they're not that far removed from the game at that point when, when Weaver just you know was managing managing uh, just the season before I believe too. So, uh,
1: well, Weaver managed in '82 and Palmer pitched in '82. Weaver's oh, last okay. year was there. Oh, all and right. then okay. and then of course Cosell was in the booth as well, and Howard is. Regardless of what you think of Howard, he was always entertaining.
0: Oh, I, I loved him. I especially, I always remember him from the Muhammad Ali League days and the Monday Night Football days. But he, he was yep. great at no matter what he did. He had his own style and very interesting character. That's for sure. All right, uh, let's take this opportunity again, uh, Jay, to tell people the name of the book and uh, again where they can find it.
1: So yeah, the the, the title of the book is Sud Series, um, and it's about the 1982 season. You can you can get it in, obviously on Amazon. Contact your local bookseller if you if funds are tight, contact your local library, ask them to, to purchase it for you. And then you just put it on reserve and read it that way. Um it's available and it's also available on the University of Missouri Press's website as well. Um, and then if you if you go to my website, 80sbaseball.com, there's a link right at the on the home page um, that'll take you to uh to a place where you can buy it as well. So um lots of places that, that you can get it.
0: Okay, great. Well, you, you, I was going to be one of my next questions was talking about your website. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what people can expect on 80sbaseball.com?
1: Well, I mean, it, again, it's a, it's a passion project for me. And I actually, when I started to do my first book, I started the website as a companion to that. Um, and one of the things that I've always been interested is, you know, what happened on this day in history, um, and so that's a big component of of the website. So I have if you were to go in and type in 80s baseball dom dot baseball.com forward slash and whatever today's date is, you could pull up um all the things that happen. I you know, I do player transactions, birthdays. Um, unfortunately, we're in that realm now where guys are starting to pass away, we're losing people. Um, and once the season starts, you know, who had a big day, um, who hit three home runs who threw a no hitter. Um Trades, um, when guys get released, fights, managerial changes, all those kinds of things. So it's kind of a a little history capsule for each day. But then in addition, I also write individual blog posts as well, just about stuff that I find interesting, or I've recently done some stuff with other authors who have allowed me to excerpt parts of their books as well, um, which is a lot of fun. So I can help help other people promote their books, um, and 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 uh, you know, hopefully get the word out about. It. I mean, I. I've been, I've been lucky that I've been able to build a platform by doing this and and it's a lot of fun. Um, and so I want to help people out and, and maybe expose other people who know who I am, but might not know who, you know, um, some of these other authors are, but, Hey, you know, here's, here's a part of what they wrote. And, and um, so, and then I also have a companion Facebook page as well. Um, and then I'm on Twitter at JD two Oh three three. So it's all all kind of interspersed on my Twitter feed. I just I talk about everything, not just the 80s, but 80s and 90s and, you know, Babe Ruth and whatever else I find interesting. And, and again, a lot of pop culture stuff as well in 1980 or for, for the 80s well
0: fantastic so, we we will share as much of that as we we can on uh you know getting into the show notes of this podcast and on jerseydispatch.com for the accompanying article with this and uh you know, we'll have a little write-up for you on you uh, so people know a little bit more about you too sort of the some of the information you have on your dust uh, jacket and stuff like that so uh and we'll get, point your way to the 80s sbaseballcom as well. Uh, so Jay, we really appreciate you you're coming on here. Uh, appreciate uh, you and Missouri, uh, University of Missouri Press of sending the book and uh, letting me get a, a, a read on it. And uh, so I can have a great conversation with you. And I really enjoyed it and enjoyed the book. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks so much, Darren. I appreciate it. And a big shout out to the University of Missouri Press as well. They've been fantastic to work with. Everybody that I've worked with has been great. So I really appreciate their help in all this.